0: This is Sunday morning. It is September 3rd of 2006. Our message is Coast to Coast. And uh, we're going to start in Jeremiah 12. I want to be honest. Because I was praying this morning and thinking about all the things that I would like to speak on, I began to go over some of the topics that interest me. My brother Jason is very interested in the Hebraic roots of our faith. You all know how that stirs my heart. So I immediately began to think all of the topics that we could go into. Because I'd like to bless their lives while they're here. I don't know how long we'll have together. I'm trying to stretch them into one more day. And uh, everywhere that I went, I didn't feel that shalom. Because it's what interested me. But I got to this one scripture that we'll get to in a minute. And all of a sudden, I knew. Oh, that's what you want to do, Lord. And I've got a message that I believe is of Him. I want to tell you first, that takes discipline to do. <laughs> it takes discipline to be interested and want to focus on something and feel the Lord pulling you in a different direction. You remember that poem? We learned it in, uh, I think, our freshman year in college, the brief time that uh, I suffered under that yoke, about a man who was in the forest. He took the road less traveled by and it made all the difference ever since. The, true, the same is true in the kingdom. It really is. It's those times when you have your will and it's good, it, it looks wonderful before you, but you feel a tug in a different direction and you have the courage to take it. It's those times in your life you really find blessing because it's laying down your will, your desires for your life and saying, Lord, that may have worked out, may have been blessed, but what I really want is you. It is a really sinful thing to take this denominational approach to the will of God, something called permissive will. Uh, oh, well, I know God's mercy will catch me and so it's okay to do what I want to. That is a really, really sinful thing. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that this morning we'll preach on that some other time. Y'all with me in Jeremiah 12? Yeah. Jeremiah asks a question that I think is worth dwelling on. It says, You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before You. Yet I would speak with You about Your justice. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Bobby. Yet I would speak with You about Your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? What a great question, huh? Why do the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. Come on, saints. Y'all be real with me for a minute. Have you not sat next to people in church for years and the name of the Lord was always on their lips, but their lives were full of ease because they were no more concerned about God's will than a man on the moon? They simply wanted to be blessed. I mean, one of the fastest-selling books... Of my Christian walk during this time I've been in Jesus was a prayer. Nobody knew the guy's name before the book came out, okay? And all the lost business people that I've been associated with all had the prayer on their wall. I began to scratch my head and go, you know, why is it that these people have no real fear of God, no real regard for man, and yet they've got these placards on their wall, this book in their bookshelf, and it wasn't hard. It was a prayer about how to live at ease, how to be blessed. Well, who doesn't want that? A Hindu wants that. A Mormon wants that. A Jehovah's Witness wants that. And a lost carnal American wants that. We're going to look at the life of a man named Asa later today. Teach you a prayer of Asa. If you've got the prayer of Jabez in your house with the right heart, that is an awesome thing. It's why it's Scripture. The way that it's been applied is pretty sad, though. And... Uh, Jeremiah's question really goes back to this. He says, why is it that these faithless people are always at ease? You're on their lips, but far from their hearts. I want to tell you, the life of faith is a life of trust. Trust is never really tested unless you're scared, unless it's hard, unless it looks overwhelming. Paul told us that we were saved by faith from first to Do you know what that means? That means the same way that you couldn't see Jesus, the same way you couldn't reach out and touch Him, but you have trusted Him to be able to save you, that same thing that started your walk is what will carry you all the way through to completion, and it can't ever stop. The reason I named this message Coast to Coast is there is a desire in us to find that place of ease Always. To find the place where we've pedaled uphill long enough that now we deserve to be able to coast a while. Come on, y'all can't relate to that at all. Y'all are staring at me like a monkey staring at a computer. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I mean, what do you do when you have just accomplished something big, right? I mean, you just overhauled your whole workplace. You're excited, right? Everybody goes, man, I can't believe Nicholas did that. What's Nicholas think now? I can tell you, I was a salesman. And as soon as you close a big sale, I, there's one thing on your mind, maybe two, after the commission. The second thing on your mind is, <laughs> I'm good for a week or so. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's on your mind. You know? Uh, if you're late for work, you wouldn't have a sale that you can mention because that enables you to coast. Some. Matthew's the only one in here does not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Matt's in sales too, but he's a diligent salesman and I understand his boss could download these messages and uh, he works very hard. Very, very hard. What I'm trying to say is there's a natural tendency in us to want to rest and be at ease. Let's examine that for a minute. Turn with me to Luke 9. Is that okay? Are we going to step on your toes enough where you don't want to be here? (laughs) We might. You never know. In Luke 9, starting in verse 51, as the time approached for Him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. There's a Hebrew idiom for the word resolute, for the idea of resolute. When the Hebrews wanted to describe somebody who was resolutely doing something, they said they set their face like stone. Or flint. It meant that they were unyielding. Jesus is resolute about what he's going to do, and he sent a message, sent messengers on ahead, who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. <laughs> we could preach a whole message right here. He's going to Samaria, right? Samaria is a place. That has got people with half hearted commitments to God. They've been corrupted through their lineage from an Assyrian captivity. They've intermingled with the world to the part where they have their own ideas about serving God. I know you can't relate to that at all, huh? Own ideas about serving God, corrupted by the world around us. And Jesus is willing to go and speak to them. He's willing to go. And why don't they want Him? Because His real destination is Jerusalem, and they don't like the Jews the Jews don't like them. little racial problem going on. How many times have we refused the move of God in our life simply because we didn't like the direction it was taking us? You know, we don't have that right. When the Word says everybody who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes that God has raised Him from the dead will be saved, that confession that He's Lord means that He's your owner and controller. It can't be a lie. It can't be a false statement. You have to live as if God owns you and controls your life if you want to find His life, if you want to find salvation. Needless to say, we're going to move on. And He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for Him. But the people there did not welcome Him because He was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, those are the sons of Boanerges, the sons of thunder, the Bible says, saw this, they asked, Lord, Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord... First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There's a wealth of messages in this and we could preach on each one of these all day. But do you see an overriding theme? Jesus was resolute about His purpose in life. He set His face like flint to achieve the objective that God had called Him to. Everybody else that was following Him had their own ideas about what should be done. We want to call down fire. We want to serve you, but first we would like to go take care of some funerals in our family. We want to serve you, but first we'd like to go do this. Something that was but first. Mandy's prophecy this morning was basically the first commandment. You shall have no other gods besides Me. That's an interesting one. Nobody would admit to having gods besides Yahweh God. Another way to interpret that is God's alongside of Yahweh God. We're not suggesting for a moment that anybody has denied in their life in here that Yahweh is their God, that Jesus is the Messiah. What we're suggesting is that you've taken other things alongside That calling in your life. That in your devotion to the King, you find yourself devoted to other things. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, huh? Devin, you don't know what I'm talking about back there, do you? No, I don't either. (laughs) I'm glad you young men are here. It is a really important thing. We have to stretch our hearts. We have to examine ourselves. We serve a jealous God. He won't put up with unfaithfulness on our part. In Luke 17, the attitude that we are supposed to have is taught. Go ahead and flip a few pages there. In Luke 17, the fifth, chapter, or fifth verse, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's another way to say, help us trust you more. Okay? That's the King Eric translation of this verse. Help us trust you more. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. What a strange transition. Increase our faith, Lord. Increase our faith. He says, oh man, if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, you can remove a mountain into the sea. Then he goes into this. What a strange thing to do. You ever ask somebody a question and then you didn't understand their answer? I mean, that's where I would be with this. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. These apostles said, increase our faith. Well, the first Scripture I read you out of Luke was about those who set out and looked back, right? And the Bible says they're not worthy of the kingdom. Well, that's easy for us to dismiss as, oh, those people were never saved. I want you to get the heart of what this Scripture is teaching. It's teaching that in the service of the king, after you've done what he's told you to do in one area, outside taking care of the fields, and then you come in, it's not time to sit down, be at ease and rest. It's time to move on to the next project the king called. The day will come when we will all rest at a feast with Father Abraham, where there will be a millennial reign where we've rested from the labors of this life and taken on the mantle and authority of the next. But our attitude when we accomplish things for Jesus today is supposed to be, we're just unworthy servants, blessed by God. I don't want you to get the corrupted form of this. I'm not saying that you walk around with a feeling of incompetence. Paul said that through the Holy Spirit he had been made competent. He said that we're more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. What I'm trying to get at is, it's great that you've been saved ten years. It's great that you sold a house, dedicated your life to God. It's great that you've led 147,000 people to Jesus, speak in other tongues, prophesy, and have raised the dead. All of that is wonderful and I'm proud of you for it. It's not now time to lay down. It's not okay now to do what you would like to do because you've already worked so hard for God. It doesn't work that way. In fact, when we do those things, we find out that the good things that we've done in the past are in danger of not being remembered anymore. There is no place in the kingdom to coast. Each of us must set our face like flint towards the goal that's been called. Refuse to turn aside to the left or right. Never camping along the way, doing God's will wherever you go. How many times have you heard the testimony about somebody raised in church? I think about it every day with my kids. Somebody who was raised in church, they fell in love with Jesus, right? Their life changed dramatically. Then they go through teenage years and what happens in all these testimonies? They drift from God, right? Oh, but praise God, if you raise them right, they'll come back. That's not what that word says. The word says that if you train them right, they won't depart. We need to get it into our head that obedience to the gospel is not it's, it's, it's not It's not something that you can choose to do or not choose to do. If you are in Christ, your faith must produce obedience. I'm to read to you Colossians. Then we're going to study Samson's life for a moment and then King Asa's life for a moment. I want you to see if when you look into the mirror of this Word, you don't see time periods in your life. Well, I do mine. You know, I set out for this thing in a blaze of fury and zeal. The first weekend I was born again, I went and found a biker who was abusing his kid in the middle of the mall. And I grabbed him by his pectoral muscles and screamed into his face. What's wrong with you, man? Don't you love Jesus? Well, no, he obviously didn't love Jesus. And what I was doing wasn't going to help. But I wanted to do something for God. Got arrested in the mall for stuffing Hallmark cards with tracks. Yeah, that was brilliant.
1: (laughs) Went out and witnessed
0: somewhere every weekend, right? God was training me through all of that. But I started in zeal and power. What? Granted, lack of knowledge... But what happens to us as we become wiser about things is we also become apathetic. We start to think, well, I've done this and I've done that. You've heard it before. I've been there and done that. Friends, you never arrive in the kingdom. I don't care how long you were at first such and such or second such and such church. It makes no difference to me. I want to know what are you doing for Jesus today? There's something that happens to us. We think that because we've sat on a pew long enough that we're sitting on our salvation. It's good to go. We're like a mother hen protecting our golden egg. It doesn't work that way. You have to set out resolutely for what God's called you to. Be unyielding. Refuse to be dissuaded. And all the power of hell will try to stop you. You know why? Because we're called to bear fruit. What happened to the man who buried his talent? say, oh, well, he was never saved. Then why is he calling the owner master? Why did he take the talent? Why did he go to give an account for it? Christians bury their talent every day. It's not wrong to prophesy because you can. It is not wrong to preach because you can. It is not wrong to stand up for Jesus because you're in love with Him. God put those things in you because He wanted something from you. He wants a witness on the earth. He wants your life to bear fruit. He won't take a thing from you that is not destined to hurt you. It's the hardest thing to understand this side of the kingdom. Walking in its principles but not seeing its reality all around you. That the only things that Jesus would withhold from you are things that will hurt your life. That's the hardest thing to see. But I tell you, if you've ever spent time dwelling in something you shouldn't and seen it hurt your life, It's a lesson that you will never forget. Y'all in Colossians? Let me read this to you out of Colossians, then we're going to look at Samson. We're going to be in the first chapter of Colossians. If you can get to the Pauline epistles, then we go Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. In the first chapter of Colossians, in the ninth verse, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Guys, we're called to something. There are lives that are worthy of the calling, and there are lives that are not worthy of the calling. Has God wasted His effort on you? Do you look at the grace that He shed abroad in your life? The very fact that you're standing here today with disdain by not living as if you've been purchased by God? How many times do we hope He wasn't watching what we did that moment? How many times are you hoping He looks the other way? Friends, He paid a high price for you. My father bought a Corvette one time. Beautiful car. This was during a time period when they were some of the fastest in the world. And funny thing happens when you buy a new car, right? The difference between the car that is one month old and the car that is seven years old is the new one gets washed an awful lot more. You know why? Because you just paid a heavy price for it. Man, you hadn't even made the first note. You know that this is going to take a chunk of your life and your resources. And so you spend careful attention to it. Salvation is a lot like that. When you're first born again... God has stamped Himself upon you and you're concerned about every little thing that you do. But something happens over time and our hearts get callous and hard. And things you never would have done in your first year of salvation in your tenth year all of a sudden seem okay. We need to ask God to put baby skin on our hearts again. It's not okay. I don't care what they've told you in church. We serve a jealous God who will not share you with anyone. Now this is coming from the freedom preacher, guys. You know, I do things no other preacher would do. You know, people have been teasing me about my MySpace page. I put pictures on my MySpace page no other preacher in the world would put there. Because I don't care what the religious establishment thinks. I don't care about anything but pleasing my King. I gave a prophecy to somebody the other night. said, your life is to be lived for an audience of one. That came right out of my spirit because that's me. I live for an audience of one. I care wholeheartedly about what Jesus thinks. The religious establishment's just not that important to me. Even if I wanted their acceptance, I probably wouldn't find it. But somebody's acceptance is very important to me. And that's the King. And I find out what He wants is a pure, wholehearted devotion to Him. And what He requires of Brad might be different than what He requires of Craig. And what He requires of Craig will be different than what He requires of Brent because that's how He is. Have you noticed that some followed Him? Right? They followed Him and you know, he rebuked them, called, called Peter Satan, all kind of things, right? But you don't see statements like we just read in Luke, where a guy wants to follow him and he says, hey, buddy, you need to know, I don't, have a whole, uh, I don't have a place to stay just like the birds and the foxes. Man, the cost is going to be high. It's like he discouraged him, right? That's because what that man needed is to count the cost. And his cost was different than your cost. Gary Kinchen gave me one of the best quotes of my life. He said, salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. And it's true. Why did Jesus look at a rich young ruler and say, first go sell everything you have, then you can follow Me? Because that's what the rich young ruler needed to give up that was a God in his life. What you might need to give up is the Internet. I have no idea. It's whatever would be destructive in your life. Maybe it's a relationship. I don't know, that one rang in me. But anyway... In Colossians, what we find out is there are lives that are worthy of God. If you keep reading down from, I guess we were in 10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of God. Guys, our knowledge, our joy, our faith is supposed to grow every day. If you had a fruit tree and you paid an awful lot of money for this fruit tree, right? It's some rare thing. You had to write to the prince in Saudi Arabia and you had to trade seven camels and your firstborn daughter, right? And he sent you this fruit tree. They were ugly camels. What difference did it make? (laughs) And He sends you this fruit tree, right? You paid a great price for it and you plant it. And you go out every day to check on it. But it is not growing and it is not producing fruit. How do you feel? Like you were ripped off, right? Well, God has put a deposit in you. He's planted something in you. He's poured out the most precious substance on the planet. His own Son's blood because He wants something from you. He wants growth. He wants your life to be about His kingdom. He wants you to expand His kingdom on earth through your life. And you will be held accountable for that. Boy, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Good or bad, every man stands before the Bema seat of Christ, the seat of Christ's judgment, giving an account for everything done in the body, whether good or bad. Guys, on that day, I don't want to hang my head I don't want to have to lower my eyes and be scared to meet King Jesus. I want Him to know me, me to know Him, and long to run to embrace each other. You ever had somebody that you wronged and then you run into them in Walmart? I one time borrowed some money from this guy. I didn't have the ability to pay the money back. And I swear I ran into him in every Chinese food buffet that I ever went to. You know, And what was worse is you know he was at least 180 years old. Ran a finance company. And every time I saw him, you know, we had this old broken, Eric, you getting around to paying me yet? I did not long to see this guy. I don't want a relationship with Jesus like that. I want it to be like mine is with my wife. If I've been away from her for a week, it's hard for me not to drive 100 miles an hour to get to where she is quicker. I can smell her perfume at the door. I can close my eyes and think about the day we got married to the last day that I saw her. I want a relationship with Jesus that is a love affair. Too many of us are dating Him. We pick Him up on Wednesday and we pick Him up on Sunday and forget about Him all the rest of the week. We need to learn to wake up and go to sleep with Jesus on our mind each night. He will not share you. Come on. We only got a few single men in here. How many of you single men go out and find the most beautiful woman that you can? Right? Say, hey, sweetness. I don't know. What do you say to them? Hey, baby. How you doing? I don't know. Y'all got to help me. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. They say Matt, the player's been out of the game. (laughs) It's been a long time for me, so I don't know what you say. But right, you land the date of a lifetime. I mean, you're proud. You're excited. You can't wait. And you find out she scheduled two other men to take her out that night too. How would you feel? Think about that. Don't we do it to Jesus all of the time? Lord, I want to pray. I want to read Your Word more. I want to be dedicated to You. I just also want to watch Big Brother. MTV Cribs. Flavor Flays. Flavor of Love. Hogan Knows Best. I've only heard that these are shows. He won't share us, guys. He won't do it. Turn with me to Judges 16. See if we can get our message this morning. In Judges 16, we see some of the saddest words in all of the Bible. This is really what struck a chord in me this morning. Does it bother y'all that I don't script these messages? Does it hurt your feelings that I didn't spend 40 hours preparing this, crying over it, hoping that it'd be received like a lecture? I wake up on Sunday mornings having studied and prayed all week. I sit in a coffee shop, watch the people around me pray and read and see what speaks to me. And a lot of times it just depends on what strange night I run into in the coffee shop that morning.
1: <laughs>
0: I was listening to a few sermons trying to find something that I had lost. And I noticed that seven out of ten of these messages that I preach start with me in a coffee shop. And I realized that this is like a Christian bar. You know, This is the place we go to drink beverages like coffee
1: beverages
0: (laughs) and meet people. God wants us in the marketplace of life because He wants you to rub shoulders with other people. They will touch you and you will touch them and your lives should be forever changed. That's what this ministry is about. Spending your life in a church building in a full-time nerdy Christian ministry, right? Got your little three-piece suit on. You know, isn't it special, right? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I love you. Yeah, I bet you do. Spending your life in that setting is like being a fisherman, right? You're called to go out and catch the largest fish in the world, to battle fish, to bring them in. Look, that struck a chord in Adam. Only you got your line in an aquarium. Yeah, the great white hunter returns from the aquarium with a goldfish. How pathetic is that? Church, we've got to be church outside the walls. But let's talk about that because we have cravings. There are things in us that we need to deal with. There are idols that we have that we need to deal with. In Judges 16, starting in verse... Y'all know the story, so we'll start in verse 19. Samson's fallen in love with a foreign bride. An hourly bride. Bride for a fee. Bride for a night. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called the man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called Samson, The Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. This is one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Do you know why? This man was born to contend with the enemies of God. He was born to purpose, supernaturally even, with an angel's announcement to be in warfare with the Philistines. And where is he? He's in a prostitute's lap. She's betrayed Him already several times before, but it was no problem, right? He just shook off whatever had entangled Him until one day it had the kind of hold on Him that God just did not want to deal with anymore. And he had no idea God's presence had left him. In other words, God's mercy in His life delivering Him this time and this time and this time lulled him to sleep in a whore's lap so that he couldn't shake himself free as before. Oh, that's fine. That's all good and well as long as we're talking about Samson. But let's take it a little closer to home. You were just curious the first time. Is that stuff really on the Internet like they say? And before long, you simply found yourself viewing something that you shouldn't be viewing. No problem. You felt bad about it. You deleted your history. You moved on. Then the next week, the thought came up in your mind again. And before long, you have an addiction that you can't get free of and that God simply can't condone or dwell with. And you have no idea that His presence is fading from your life. Your eyes are being put out and the bronze shackles of judgment are being placed on your hands. Oh no, nobody will admit to that striking your heart, huh? How about the allure of your jobs? God told you to do this, but a raise got you to do something else. The prestige of your friends got you to do something else. Come on, guys. The seductress speaks to us all in different ways. It's not always the lust of the flesh. Sometimes it's the pride of life. Sometimes it's the desire for things. Does Versace call out to you when you walk by in the mall to the point where you'll give what you were going to do something with God, something for God with, to Versace so that you have the prestige of uh, a certain kind of dress? Have you sold out what you would give to missions for the price of a Mercedes Benz? You know, we all have things that call to us. The problem with Samson is he had been freed from it so many times and re-entered it that it had a stronger hold on him than he realized. He thought, man, I'll go out just like I always do. I'll shake it off and move on. Until one day he couldn't shake it off and move on. Come on. Nobody's ever been a recreational drug user, huh? Party this year was fine. Party last year was fine. Party year before was fine. And then all of a sudden you can't put it down? That's how the devil works. You're a frog in a kettle sometimes. You know, you drop a frog in a boiling water kettle, he hops right out. Says, you know, that kind of, that's no fun. I don't think I want any of that. (laughs) You drop him in tepid water and begin to turn it up degree by degree, and he will stay there until he boils to death. What water is the devil trying to place you in? What are you swimming in that is not faith? That is working at destroying your relationship to God? Then the Philistine seized him gouged out his eyes and took him to Gaza. Why do you think they cut out his eyes? Why do you think they cut out his eyes? In the kingdom, whether we're talking about natural warfare or spiritual warfare, your ability to see and perceive what the enemy is doing and react to it, being aware of the devil's schemes so that you can take your stand is what makes you powerful. The reason the Holy Spirit's presence is in your life is to remind you of the Word that Jesus has spoken to you, to warn you about things to come, to show you how to live in the kingdom. They cut out His eyes because they didn't want Him to know what the enemy was doing. And sin will do that to you every single time. The problem is not so much that because you've sinned, God can't have anything to do with you. We know He touches lepers and makes them clean. The problem is that because you've sinned, You don't want anything to do with God. You're ashamed and hiding in the garden, getting behind fig leaves, hoping no prophecy will touch that area of your life, hoping that nobody will uncover that stone. Bronze shackles of judgment upon your hands, standing in the temple to a foreign God. My favorite verse, at least in the book of Judges, is verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Friends, I don't care what has bound you. I don't care how deep the shackles have gone. How much you think you cannot be free from what has tried to enslave you? God is not the God of the second chance. He's the God of the ten-thousandth chance. This man found himself surrounded by enemies more so than at any other time in his life with his hands chained, his head shaved in humbling circumstances. The champion of Israel being treated like a dog in the house of a foreign God. And He says, Lord, just one more time would You shake me. And in His death, He was more successful than in all of His life. Friends, whatever binds you, God is willing to shake you again. It can fall off you like charred flax. You know what He requires? He requires for you to grow in your relationship with Him again. That growth can only come by admitting where you've been wrong. By saying, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. Not sorry I got caught. Not sorry my eyes got poked out. I'm sorry I let you down and I simply don't want to do it again. Samson's life ended well. Asa's did not. Now when I say Asa, you're thinking of all my children, right? Asa Buchanan? He's not on there anymore? Or I got the soap opera wrong? Y'all don't know. Y'all are so holy. You do? Good. My mom used to tape that soap opera for me. I was almost 6 feet tall, 218 pounds, 6% body fat, and I ran home every day to watch all my children with my mom. You didn't know that, did you, Matthew? I didn't tell my friends about that.
1: <laughs>
0: Turns me to Second Chronicles. Is it okay that we preach kind of a simple message today? I find out you don't have to reinvent the wheel, you just have to hear from God. But that takes some effort. You know, they publish full books on sermon starters. Pastors keep their sermons in card catalogs like old stale bread. Because they reach a place in their life where they've preached it all before. They've been, they've done that. It's time to coast. I simply pull a sermon off the shelf. Meanwhile, the people starve on the vine. Oh, it's delivered well oration is excellent. But there's no power in it. It's simply a form of godliness that denies the power. Since I don't want to be that way. I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do it in your lives. Don't fall asleep next to the fire. When God fails to move you, you need to examine your life. You need to find out whether there's a problem with God or a problem with you. And I can tell you how that will end every time. hard to hear from God when He's telling you to kill your golden calf isn't it that thing that you love most that thing you think you cannot do without Holy Spirit's a gentleman He rarely will just scream in your face the devil is not such a gentleman he'll deliver you by fraud he'll overwhelm you he'll do whatever he can to trick you into doing His will and the problem is is there's a little bit of us that likes His will Little bit of us that's destined for that. You have to count that part of you dead and the rest of you alive to your Lord and Master. When you do that, he'll deliver you every time. And if you suffer for a little while, it's for your good. It helps form you. It helps shape you. Samson, was he most abused by the Philistines in his life? He was abused by church people, wasn't he? Preach about that all of the time. They bound his hands and handed him over to the Philistines. But did it work out for his good? Yeah, that's how He killed a thousand men in one encounter. No matter how the church tries to harm you, you can succeed. Y'all in Second Chronicles 14? Asa. Starting in the second verse. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. His God. You know, when you read these stories about these kings, the first line usually tells you about their life, right? Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Anybody know the rest? did more evil than any of the kings before him. That's not what you want, right? That's not what you want on your epitaph. Rehoboam, you know, did good in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah, Hezekiah. I mean, when you read it, usually the first line tells you a lot about the king. Isn't that true, usually? Usually. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the asher poles. You could sum all that up in the New Testament phrase. He repented. <laughs> he did good. He's doing good. Have you had periods in your life where there was a dramatic turn? Man, you're knocking down the left and right. Doing good. Have you? few of you? What's that mean about the rest of you? You're just tired. Ignoring me. Right? See? Okay. Okay. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey His laws. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Because he was doing God's will, there was shalom around him all of the time. A sense that all is right in his kingdom. All is right between him and God. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought Him and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah equipped with large shields and with spears and 280,000 from Benjamin armed with small shields and with bows. All these were brave Fighting men. What is the picture about Asa's life? Peace, prosperity, blessing on every side. Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army. If you're being blessed with peace and prosperity on every side, it's only so you can get ready for the next battle. You think Asa thought he did something wrong when Zerah came and marched against him? Yeah, have you ever been surprised? in traffic when somebody flips you off? I mean, has that ever shocked you? Have ever been surprised that somebody that you thought was a decent person let you down in some big way? It's probably me, right? No. It shouldn't surprise us when sinners sin. It's what they did. It should not surprise you when the enemy hates you, when he schemes against you, when he is working to disrupt your life. You shouldn't act strange as if some new trial had come upon you that has never come upon the earth. You're at war. You're locked in mortal combat with the enemy. The question is, do you fight or do you lay down? You can't get out of the battle. Do you fight or do you lay down? And i tell you something. The battle is almost always bigger than you. Watch this. There are the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army. What's your footnote there say for vast army? Thousands upon thousands. One translation said, a million man army. It's because they don't understand Hebrew. You know how when we speak in English, we say, man, there were so many of them, there must have been a million. Do you really mean there was a million? No, you're trying to talk about an almost innumerable number. That's what this phrase means. An almost innumerable force is coming against them. Asa went up to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zapheth, near Marishah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Bless me. Expand my tent on every side. No, I got the wrong prayer. That's the one everybody has on their wall. Next time you see the prayer of Jabez, I want you to think about the prayer of Asa for a minute. Then Asa called to Yahweh, his God, and said, Lord, there is no one like You to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on You. And in Your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, You are our God. Do not let man prevail against You. When you know that you're in the will of God, when you have worked to tear down the things that compete with Him in your life, no matter what the force is that is coming against you, you know that you do not stand alone. You stand with the Father. This is how Jesus can stand before Pilate, totally unintimidated. This is how they can say, Jesus, don't go to that town. Herod wants to kill you. And they can say, you tell that fox I'll press on today, tomorrow, and the next day I'll reach my goal. This is how he can walk through a crowd of people who want to stone him without being harmed. It's how Paul can get stoned, left for dead, and get up and want to go back in and preach in the very same city. Or be in the city of the Ephesians where an entire arena wants to tear him limb from limb and he's not intimidated in the least bit. Asa knew that he was in the presence of God. And in his mind, he was relying on God and God would deliver him. This is reminiscent of his forefather David who said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? It's not me he's coming against. He's coming against God. Boy, that confidence comes from knowing that you're putting down everything in your life that you're aware of. You're struggling against sin in every area and lifting God up as Lord. But boy, it is a horrible thing to have a half-hearted commitment to God and find yourself on the battlefield. Unsure whether or not He's going to support you because you've had divided loyalties all of your life. Wake up, church. Decide which team you want to fight for. Get on the right side and do it with all of your heart so you don't get puked out of God's mouth because that's exactly what He says He does with traitors that have one foot in both kingdoms. Wow, that's harsh. Who's he talking to? I'm talking to me first. Then you. Every day I have to assess my life. I have to wonder. I have to pray. I work out my salvation today with fear and trembling. How many times have you read that Scripture? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I thought he was talking about a new convert. Friends, he was writing to people who were followers of the way. He's writing to people that had already had property confiscated for Jesus. Every day, you work it out with fear and trembling. All my Baptist friends out there are crying out, where's the assurance? Where's the assurance? The assurance comes in knowing that you're with God and He's with you. His Spirit will testify with your spirit. You don't need some demonic doctrine to come and give you assurance. You know what you need? You need contact with God. If you faced a bigger force than you today, something that wanted to take your life, how confident would you be Has your life been worthy of the call that's been placed on it? The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before Asa. Oh, y'all better read with me. Come on, saints. Why do you have Bibles in your laps? Why do you have Bibles in your laps? Because you're supposed to read them. You're supposed to know them. You know, I got saved sitting in a church full of people with their Bibles and nobody had any idea what they said. The man began to teach us things that was different than what our church taught, but the Word taught. And all of us sit there angry because we would never taken the time to read it. Follow in the Word. Find out what it says. Quit sitting on your salvation waiting for something to happen. God has called you. You're supposed to be resolute. You're supposed to be powerful and unyielding. Study this Word like it's your life. The Bible says it is your life. If I took it from you today, how much of it would you know? How much of it could you lean on? If I took it from you today and you never saw it again, is there enough of it hidden in your heart to keep you safe on the way? You'd have to go break into a hotel room and steal one from the Gideons, huh? Those are probably the least read Bibles in all of the world. It's abundant for us. It's on every side. The Lord's always delivered us every time before. And the seductress has put us to sleep in her lap. And you have no idea where you really stand with God. Take a moment. Think about it. Your relationship's holy. The girlfriends you have in your life, young man, those holy. Women, your desires that you have, are they holy? Husbands, when you talk to your wives in the privacy of your house, you talk to her like you'd talk to Jesus? Come on, guys. The time is short. The battle is fierce. It's time to stand up and be counted. You've crossed over from death to life. You're in the army of the Lord at this point. Will you hide in the ranks? Go find yourself a big church somewhere. Go hide in the crowd. Bury your talent. God's called you here because He's raising up an army of mighty fighting men. People will go down into a pit on a snowy day and strike down the big Egyptian. Men who will stand in the field, stand and defend a field of lentils against innumerable foes because God's with them. He's raising you up because he wants to do something in the earth. He's got enough people that give him lip service. He's got enough faithless people on the earth who always talk about God. Prayer of Jabez for kids, prayer of Jabez for women, prayer of Jabez aerobics, whatever it is. He's got scores of people that will write books. Put them on the shelves. Left behind, left in, left out. Leave it behind. He's looking for people who will advance His kingdom in the face of opposition. We found one in Asa, right? Right? Yeah, looks that way. Look at verse 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa. Asa and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with Him. Come on, guys. Did y'all hear me? The Lord is with you when you are with Him. That ought to remind you of something. You remember there's a man named Joshua? He's standing staring at a city called Jericho that represents the world. The commander of the Lord's army shows up. What's he say? Joshua goes, hey, man. You're a pretty impressive dude. You with me? them? you for or against? What did he tell him? What a strange thing to find in the Word. What did he tell him? Neither. Neither. I'm for the army of the Lord. We make a mistake in charismatic Christianity when we go, wow, I'm the man of power for the hour. I'm His mercenary sent to do His will everywhere. God's with me wherever I go, whatever I say. Oh, that's true as long as you're doing what He told you to do saying what He told you to say. Too many prophecies have come out of people's own imagination. Too many directions they've given people have really come from them and claimed to be God. Every time we set our hand to the plow and it's difficult, we hear from God that that's not what we're called to do anymore. As if God changes His mind like a windshield wiper. Back and forth, back and forth. God is for you when you are for Him. When you are sold out for His purposes, He's sold out for you. The rest of the time, you're in danger of being puked. Not a nice thing, is it? If the Lord is with you, the Lord is with you when you are with Him. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. If you seek Him. That did not mean if you sit in a church and are a hearer of the Word. It means if you seek Him. This word seek is like a man who is in the desert would seek water. It means to crave, to desire, to earnestly yearn. Samson, when he got his eyes put out, was it because he was yearning for the Lord? No. He was yearning for something else. David. David finds himself on a rooftop, right? Y'all all know the story. It's the springtime. It's when kings go off to war and he spies Bathsheba, right? A desire is born in his heart. A desire that is going to give birth to death. It's actually going to kill one of his children and bring warfare to the whole kingdom. He's up there because he's craving God? No, that's another craving, isn't it? Is it because God didn't care about David's sex drive? Sorry, young people. Is, it, is, is that true? He had four wives at home. David had four wives at home. He's standing on a roof. You know where the wives were? In the house, right beneath him. But he's craving something that God doesn't want him to have. Why? Because it will destroy his life. This prophet comes and warns Azariah. Well, Why? Why does the prophet have to come? The guy's doing good! Saints, we're not in danger when we're struggling. You're in in danger when you're doing good. The danger comes when we begin to think that it's somehow by our own strength, our own power that we've overcome. When we begin to say, "Ah, I've been freed every time before. This is no harm. We're in the most danger when we think that because we did something for the Lord out in the field, now it's time to come lay down in the house. Come on, you never met somebody who risked it all for Jesus and now thought Jesus owed him it all? i met a lot of people like that. I'm doing everything I can in my heart not to become that person. One way that that happens is He keeps you in small, humble circumstances. If I had a church of 10,000 right now, I really might think that I had accomplished something for Jesus. Even if I did... What is my attitude supposed to be? I'm only an unworthy servant. The day that I look at you like a pope and tell you what God says for you to do in your life is the day I begin to lose favor with God. That's a whole other message. It message comes out of Matthew 23. I want to read you about Asa. If you seek Him, He will be found by you, but if you forsake Him, He will forsake you. Look at verse 7. But as for you, be strong. Do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Asa's being encouraged to stick with God at all costs. He goes through a time of revival in the kingdom. All of Judah and Benjamin, the whole area, to make a new covenant with God. And as they make this new covenant with God, they're at the height of their spiritual accomplishments. Chapter 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. He's fought the Cushites and won. They had a vast army that was unbelievable. But he said, Oh God, we rely on You. Don't let man prevail against You. And what happened? God delivered him. Now he has a fight with a kinsman. The other ten tribes of Israel. Asa served God a long time. He's been in a lot of battles and seen the Lord win. His heart's been fully committed to the Lord most of his life, but now he's an old man that has accomplished an awful lot for God. He's insecure. He's insecure because something's crept into his heart that shouldn't be there, and now he's not positive God's with him. He begins to lean on other things. Asa then took silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own place and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Whose silver and gold was it? The Lord's. This guy is taking the favor that he has with God. He's taking something that symbolizes his relationship with God. He's giving it to a foreign power. Why? So that he can be at ease and not have to go to battle. The danger for us saints is that we fall asleep in the enemy's lap. The danger for us is that all of our favor and our prosperity at times can trick us into thinking that God wants us at ease instead of at battle. Thank God for the tragedies that have come along in our lives that wake us up My good friend Justin Johnson's family went through a horrible, terrible experience. They had the loss of a child and uh, a miscarriage. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But Justin had the best perspective I've ever seen. He said, Eric, it was a wake up call. This stuff happens to the righteous, happens to the unrighteous. I don't have time to put up with carnality. What an awesome perspective. When we never experience loss at the hands of the enemies. When you are never nicked in battle, it's easy to fall asleep in the lap of the enemy. He took the silver and gold that belonged to God, like Samson's hair, and he gave it to the enemy so that he didn't have to go fight. It worked. He escaped that battle. Proverbs tell us in the 23rd chapter and 23rd verse, take your silver and gold by buy wisdom, buy understanding. It will serve you. This guy took his silver and gold and bought the favor of a foreign king to keep from having to fight. How many times you refused to answer the call? Didn't get out of bed to pray? Didn't do what it was God told you to do? Because you just deserved something better what happened to the attitude we're unworthy servants? Thank You for saving us, Lord. What happened to the attitude You're our owner and controller? I want all of Him. I want to know that I know that I know when I stand on the battlefield on that day, it's just like they were fighting with God because I belong to Him. Not one-tenth of me. Not two-tenths of me. Not nine-tenths of me. A hundred percent. said, but Eric, how can you do that? I mean, you're a man. Don't you struggle? (laughs) more than I tell you about. Matthew, Cassidy, and Jennifer know the extent to which I struggle about things because I made myself accountable to them. But there's not a single area of my life that I've not been honest with Jesus and my peers about because I want God's approval and His favor. Verse 7, At that time Hananiah the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, because you relied on the king of Amram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Amram has escaped your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from on you will be at war. God is looking for men and women who will take this seriously. He's looking, watching Bobby Stevens' life, watching Darnell Richards' life, going, are you going to take me seriously? I'll give you all of me you can handle. I will give you all of the strength that it takes to overcome. All He wants is to know that we rely on Him and not MasterCard. Him and not your rich relative. Him and not your television set. Him and not some preacher. He wants to know that He's number one in your life and He will give you all that it takes to succeed. But He will not share you with anything. Saints, it's time to take an assessment of your life. Asa started in power, didn't he? Where did he go wrong? Samson started in power. He went wrong. But his hair began to grow again. That was a symbol of his relationship with God. It was not too late for him. When you hear this kind of message, you have a choice. Your heart can become hard and God will multiply His powers against you just like He did Pharaoh. Or your heart can melt and break and you can find salvation from whatever troubles you today. So wait, I got saved. No, you be honest. You got saved... You're still being saved and you'll need to be saved again. The events of... I'm sorry, verse 10. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. And he was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some people. Isn't it funny how sin will twist your heart? He had been liberating the people before. Now, because there's sin in his heart that's not been dealt with properly, the fruit of it, The work of the flesh has produced anger and oppression. The Spirit of God always produces joy and liberty. The Spirit of the world would produce in you anger and oppression. Anybody seen Bob Dylan lately? Yeah. Went to Christ for the Nations. Had an awesome CD. I still listen to it sometimes. Slow train a-coming. Right? Sang Christian songs. Had an awesome time in his life. Now he is a bitter, angry old man who is oppressive about everything that has to do with Christianity. says it was the worst time period in his life. We will all come to a place where you will either sold, serve him wholeheartedly or not at all. Because he won't accept anything that is not wholehearted. You know what goes on and happens to Asa? God loves him enough that He strikes him with an affliction in his Why is he... He needed to see his walk with God wasn't right. He needed to know I, something's not right. I'm not like I used to be. I need help. God was hoping, the Scripture says, that He would cry out for help. You know what Asa's name means? you got to love this. Asa's name means healed. His name means healed. Name had to do with function. Healed in Hebrew is the same as saved. Did you know that? Same with Greek. Healed and saved, same thing. He's somebody who is healed, made whole, saved of the Lord. He's got an affliction in his feet because God is hoping that he can show his delivering power in Asa's life and he can go out stronger than he started because in his old age, he's become weird, insecure, and is not showing faith. It only made Asa harder. He sought help only from the doctors. And then he died. How sad is that? At least Samson got a chance to repent. Asa didn't take his. The people all still loved him. They buried him like a king, like somebody who never let up but served God all their life. But I bet when he saw the king, the real king, he had to drop his eyes. I do not want to do that, friends. I have a couple scriptures for you. Corinthians 15.1 Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the Gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this Gospel you are saved. Right? Done deal. If you hold firmly to the Word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. I don't care how many people join the convention or the denomination that twists these words into something else. You don't have to be a scholar to understand that. Revelation 2.26 To him who overcomes and does my will, till the end I will give authority over the nations. Hebrews 3.14 We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. You know, that is a very convicting Scripture for me. You know why? I was so full of zeal, so excited about being born again. Then I went into every dark place. I grabbed everything by the shoulders that could be grabbed by the shoulders and tried to make a mark for God in the beginning. So how do I have to finish? There is no room to coast in the kingdom. How do you have to finish? That's the question. Colossians 1.21 Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Isn't that good? Don't you want to stand before Him free from accusation, no blemishes? No blemishes. You ever seen a bride that you didn't think was all that attractive, but on her wedding day? They're all pretty, aren't they? I don't know if we can say all, but most are pretty. I've seen some shrouded in burkas that I know why they were shrouded in burkas. Free from accusation. Free from blemish. Did you know there was a qualifying statement to that? The 23rd verse. All those things are true about you if you continue in your faith. Established and firm. Not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. What is the gospel? That you can be free from accusation, free from blemish, standing before God confident. But what's required? You have to be unmoved in your trust in Him. That's going to require different things of all of you and it will never stop. Paul says this faith is from beginning to end. It's not an investment program that you pay into one time and then it suddenly matures it's your whole life long it's free but it costs you everything Hebrews 6 even though we speak like this dear friends y'all my friends? still? even though we speak like this dear friends we are confident of better things in your case I'm confident of better things in your case things that accompany salvation God is not unjust He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. Guys, I know that you love the Lord. You couldn't be here putting up with me if you didn't. I'm telling you these things because if you want to make your hope sure, you have to grow stronger in this. There is no coasting. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience will inherit what has been promised. Do you think the American church is lazy? Boy, I do. Do you think that you're lazy at times? I know I am. When's it going to stop? When's it going to be different? It's important that we impress upon ourselves the cost of our behavior. Two more Scriptures. Let us hold... This is Hebrews 10.22. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. How about that? Unswervingly. Greg, you ever swerved? Just twice. I knew that about you. I did. Unswervingly to the hope we profess. For He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching. Why did you come here today? Did you come here so that I could tell you your tent would expand? Did you come here today so I could tell you how blessed you are? Friends, you have all that's God. Why would you need some stupid book series to tell you that you're blessed? You know what it will tell you you're blessed? The feeling of confidence on the battlefield that you're His and He's yours. If you don't feel blessed, if you don't feel saved, and you have to raise up teachers to tickle your itching ears, maybe you're not blessed and you're not saved. Get it right. Get it right. We're going to close with 2 Peter 1. The reason we're going to close is because Peter said it better than I could say it. I'm just going to read his words. Is that all right? Y'all better turn there because occasionally I lie when I preach. How will you know if you don't turn?
1: Well, you've got it memorized,
0: right? Well, we'll see. 2 Peter 1. We're closing right here. Simon Peter, a servant. An apostle of Christ Jesus. You know, this guy was crucified. He was crucified. His wife was crucified. Jesus prophesied it to him a long time before it ever happened. He said, when you were young, you went wherever you went. When you're old, they'll take you where you don't wish to go. He encouraged his wife to embrace the cross. It said that when he saw it, he said, how I've longed for this. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Would you hang me upside down? I can assure you he wasn't Catholic. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith that is as precious as ours. The reason I'm talking to you like this is because I'm assuming that you have a trust in God that is as precious as mine. I hope my assumption is not making a fool out of me. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Come on, y'all. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. What do you lack? Like? Well, I'm not a very bold person. Yeah, well, according to God, has given you everything you need to be bold. Well, I'm kind of scared. Well... He's given you everything you need not to be scared. I don't speak well. I've heard that before. Everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Brent, did you know that the Word of God said that you have the nature of God inside of you? Well, what an important thing. You know, Paul had to tell the Corinthian church something. Boy, you'd never hear this in a denominational church. Can you imagine the preacher stands up on a Sunday and he says, guys, 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 look, I know there's temple prostitutes everywhere, but look, don't go pay and sleep with them because Jesus is inside of you. And that's like joining Jesus to a prostitute. Can you imagine? If that was going on, wouldn't they shove it under the rug? Paul wrote that in the Holy Scripture for all mankind to see. You think people haven't always struggled with things? Of course they have. But we have the divine nature of God in us. He gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For, <laughs> if His world was corrupt, what do you think ours is? For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith Goodness. Here's where we're going with this, guys. It's very good that you've called on Jesus. Some of you have been baptized. Some of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Boy, it feels good. A deposit. Guaranteeing what's to come. And yet, it's not enough. It's not time to coast. You have to add to your faith goodness. And to your goodness, knowledge. And to your knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness into godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For You should put a star by this. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This all speaks of a message holding firmly, setting your face resolutely, refusing to be dissuaded, growing in your faith, knowledge, goodness, love, all of those things, doing more and more and more. Adam, what does that mean about your life tomorrow versus today? It means he's going to grow to be more like Jesus. And the challenges are going to raise higher. But he'll accomplish in Christ what he's called to do if he holds unswervingly to the faith he's professed. I believe Adam will make it. You're going to help him? You might need his help. You better help him. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, like Samson, got his eyes put out, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I won't read the next few verses, but he says, Guys, I only have so many years to tell you this while I'm in the tent of the body. So I'm trying to tell you this so that long after I'm gone, you'll be growing and doing well. In the- That's the same reason I'm telling you this. I don't know how many more years we'll get to be together. Some of you, it'll be decades. Some of you, it'll be a few. Some of you, it may not even be a year. But it's my job to spur you on to faith. It's your job to spur each other on to faith. This kingdom is real. It works. It's powerful. And it is an abundant life. All that's required is that you take it seriously. This is the only thing in your life you can't coast through. It's the only thing in your life you can't skip the homework assignments and make bees on the test. You're called to a life worthy of the calling that is on it. Stand up and let's pray.